for that. A couple meetings. Um, one youth Bible study meeting, meeting tonight after the service by the piano. Then shattered meeting after the service by the tape room. And then my Bible study will meet meeting right after the U.S. flag, please. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn, please, to Joshua, the book of Joshua. What does the Bible mean? When it says that God is our refuge, or even more fundamentally, what does the Bible mean, the word refuge? You know, we just finished reading, for those of you guys who are reading with us, the Bible yearly uh, reading plan that we have here at church, where we try to read the Bible in a year, we just finished reading the Old Testament reading of Joshua, where we read about the cities of refuge. Remember that? The cities of refuge. And there's a lot in this that really, if we understand it and we take it to heart, it'll literally cause a lot of the worries, a lot of the, the fears that all too often too many Christians have to be broken. And you know, on the other side, it'll give you a rock-solid confidence in your salvation. So I want us to look at God is our refuge from our text, Joshua chapter 20, please. Joshua chapter 20. Let's look at the cities of refuge. Verse 20. The Lord also spoke to Joshua saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of these cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in the city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until, and until, the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, to the city from which he fled. Let's look at first and examine these cities of refuge, and really to see, how they're analogous to Jesus being our refuge. You know, after the children of Israel left Egypt, after the Exodus, um, there was two million of them. And here, before they go into the promised land, God tells Moses, but then further tells Joshua and really mandates to him, I want you to build these cities of refuge. And I've read some commentaries where people will say, well, that was really the idea of Moses. That was really the idea of Joshua. That's not what I read in the Bible. This came from the heart of God. This came from the mind of God. He says, I want you to set aside specific cities of refuge for this purpose. See, before Israel had some kind of a police force, 
yeah, where criminals or manslayers could be uh, dealt with. How were they dealt with? Well, unfortunately, what happened was you kill my brother, you kill my mom, then the family's going to go after you. <laughs> and they went after him, and they hunted them down. And many times they would kill them without their day in court. Regardless if it was intentional or unintentional, they killed them. And God didn't want that to happen. So God made these cities because it was unacceptable to God that if somebody did it unintentionally, if it was not premeditated, then God says, I don't want this to happen in my land where I dwell. God then told him, I want you to make six cities, not one, not two, but six of them strategically located and strategically dispersed around that land. Let's look at Numbers chapter 35, verse 9 through 15. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to the cities of refugee for you, that the manslayer who killed any person accidentally may flee there. They shall, be, uh, they shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities for, of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on the side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally, may flee there. These cities weren't just for the Jews. These cities were for somebody who was passing through or the stranger. God said, in this land, I'm going to be living here. And if I'm going to be living here, there are certain things that I want you to do. And we're going to find out later on why that was so critical. But God says, I'm living in this land and I want you to make these six cities of refuge for people who inadvertently killed someone just to get protection from the family members who many times were seeking just to exact private justice. We don't care if it's congregational justice. We don't care if it's something that is approved by others or not. We're going to exact our private justice. And God says, I'm not going to have that. So these six Levitical cities were one, very easily visible. Very easily visible. If you read in some parts of that, we're going to look into right now, but other parts of the Bible, that's really too many, too many numerous scriptures. You know, I really encourage you to read about the refugee cities. God made them strategically located, easily visible and easily accessible. Why? So if somebody did this and accidentally killed somebody, they can get there, not within three days, not within two days, but within hours. And so all of these were located, regardless of where you lived in that country area, you can get there within a day, within hours. <clears throat> and I find that very interesting, because I think about our refuge, Jesus. He's easily reached by us, isn't he? He's not somebody that is hard to find. He's not somebody that is hard to access. The scriptures that I think about is Romans 10, 13. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For anybody, not for just a person that is a certain race or a certain amount of money or 
God says, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Jesus, his own words, he says, he that cometh to me, I will by no means cast him out. And we're starting to see some of the similarities here. So we're all sinners. We recognize that. Hopefully we all recognize that. And as sinners, the Bible says, Romans 3.10, there is none that are righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And then it says, and the wages of our sins is death. Oh, we're all going to die, you say. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death, separated from God in hell, Romans 6.23. And so that's, that's something that is for everybody. How could God do that? Because he's a sovereign God, he's a holy God, and we are sinners. And so he says, the wages of sin, if you continue in that, is hell. But here's the good news. Jesus being our refuge, he took care of that problem for those who want to accept him. So here, before we say that Jesus is our refuge, he actually took care of that problem because he, as you all many know, he died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says he's the propitiation for our sins. In other words, all of our sins, no matter what you've done, he paid for on the cross. He substituted himself to die for you. He substituted himself when he was on the cross, and he paid the price in full for your sins and for my sins as the great refuge. But it doesn't happen automatically. We've got to come to him. So just like these people had to go to those cities of refuge, if somebody was chasing them, death, they had a death sentence. They had a judgment sentence. And if they said, you know what, I don't need that. I don't need those cities of refuge. I'm going to do it on my own. Many times, that's what they got. They got death sentence, and they were killed. But if somebody was wise enough to be able to say, no, I need help. I need deliverance. I thank you, God, for making that way of escape. And they would go to those cities of refuge. And there they were able to find help from their avengers. See, the Bible says that these city gates, they were open all the time. Not just during the day, but daytime and nighttime. And I find that so interesting because you all know that we can call God on God anytime. You don't have to wait till the day shift. You don't have to wait till the second shift. Any time of the day, you can cry out to God. If you're going through hard times, if you're not saved, if you're backslidden, you can say, God, I've blown it, God. I recognize, God, that if I die right now, I'm on my way to a spiritual death. And God is always has his ears open, and he's always there for you. Just as those cities were, our gates are always open. So if you need our help, if you have done something that you can plead your case that was unintentional, There is a way of escape. Here's the issue, though, is those gates were open. Those gates were open all the time, but they had to do it without delay. They had to make sure that they got there quickly. Because if you accidentally kill somebody, you couldn't just say, well, I'll think about it, and I may go there next week. I may go there in a few days. God made those cities strategically placed, so he knew, God knew that the death sentence was on them. And it was, a, it, was, it was a question of timing. And they had to get there right away. And so it is with us. Many times what happens to us is we put it off and put it off and put it off. 
And God says, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't delay. So those authorities at the refuge, at the refuge protected him, escorted him to the trial. In other words, after the person said, listen, help me out. I made a mistake. And he presented his case to the authorities there at that city gate. If they believed him, they would let him in. And no matter what the avenger did to try to come in, they blocked him out. And this person was protected. And then afterwards, they would take him to the congregation for his day in court. And when they took him, they surrounded him and they protected him to that avenger family couldn't do anything to him until he got his proper day in court. Isn't that incredible? The Bible says that God is our advocate. He's our lawyer. The Bible says that the devil, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's always saying, we're no good. We just can't be a Christian. We just can't do this. Hey, hey, God, you know, almost think like the exact opposite of Job. Where here, Job, you know, he's, he's uh, having to hear from God. Have you considered my servant Job? He's a man that is fears me, a man that shuns evil. Well, imagine here, you're over here, and the devil goes, hey, so this guy here, he's always blowing it. This guy, he's no good. And God can't say a lot. And the Bible says that here Jesus speaks up. If you've given your life to Christ, and he goes, yeah, he may not be Miss Perfect, Mr. Perfect. He not, may not be Miss Perfect, but he loves me. He's covered by my blood. So shut up, devil. Move out of the way. And that right there is one of the tremendous parallels. Let's look at Numbers chapter 35, 25. It says, So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he fled, and shall remain there until the death of the high priest. So here, when he has this day day in court, the Bible says that he goes... He pleads his case to the congregation, and if it's shown and proven that he did not do it maliciously, he did not do it intentionally, it was an accident. An example. Here, I'm chopping wood, and chopping wood, and all of a sudden, as I chop, the head comes off of the wood, and it hits somebody in the head, and it kills them. That was not because of hate. That was not because of malintent it was a total accident and yet people would try to kill you killed my mom you killed my brother and so god says i'm not going to have that why is that because one he didn't mean that and two because i dwell in this land and this land is holy land and it will defile me it'll defile so i can't have that so therefore to make sure that that doesn't get defiled i'm going to make a city of refuge to keep that from happening so if this man was found innocent He was taken back to the city gates. He was guarded at the refuge, guarded at the refuge until that high priest died. In other words, it's almost like a statue of limitations. You have to stay there. Yes, you were found uh, innocent, but it's still that person died. So we have to be, we'll protect you. Nothing will happen to you, but you can't leave these city gates until that high priest passes away. If, on the other hand, this person was found guilty and he murdered with malintent, he murdered intentionally, then obviously 
he was given his due diligence. He was given his due uh, consequence, and they killed him, as should have been done. Here is some similarities, but here's the main difference I see in this story with Jesus being our refuge. In this story, I just finished saying, if you murdered, (laughs) then you're going to be killed. But I thank God, guys, that if we murder, think about that thief on the cross. He murdered, and yet Jesus told him after he asked God to forgive him, today you will be with me in paradise. So that, to me, is a huge difference. Jesus says, no matter what you've done, come to me. Unlike those cities of refuge that only had a certain amount of flexibility, you, regardless of what you've done, you come to me. You've murdered? Oh, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how badly I've blown it. You don't understand how I've treated this person or that person or the things that I've done and so on. The Bible says it doesn't matter. You come to me and I'll forgive you and I'll give you peace and I'll give you safety from the death sentence that you deserved before this. Isn't that awesome? So then, I think about another story that we studied not too long ago recently, and I think it's more, it's closer to it, and that's the Passover. Now, this coming Friday, uh, the 22nd through next Saturday, the 30th, Israel and Jews are celebrating the Passover. And to me, the Passover is a very analogous story to what Jesus does for us. Here in the Passover, the Jews had left Egypt. But right before they left Egypt, there was a death sentence for all the male children, all the firstborn. And God said, Hebrews, children of Israel, for you to avoid this, all you need to do is you get a lamb without spot, without blemish. You sacrifice it. You put blood as a sign of a cross on the lentils and the top of the door. Top of, top of the door. And when the angel of death sees that, he will pass over you. Whoever is in this room, he will pass over you. And I think about that story. There was two million, more or less, Jews. Two million. Now, don't tell me that all those two million were goody good two-shoes. I think that there were some houses where some people in those houses, they may have been just like me and you. Maybe not the most righteous, most perfect, you know. And the angel, they may have been inside that room, and they may have been scared and worried and say, I'm trying my best, God, but I did this, or I just did this, or I'm having these mental battles or this. But as long as they were inside that room, the angel of death passed by, and as soon as the angel of death saw blood, that blood on that door, he passed over them. It wasn't like the cities of refuge. It was like the refuge of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Yet, while you're in these cities of refuge, you had to be obedient. You couldn't just say, all right, I made it, man. Now I went to, you know, the the officers at the front, and they let me stay in here. Then I went to court, and now they found me innocent, so I'm here. So I'm fine. And you start being an idiot. Yeah, you start being disobedient. You start being disrespectful. Well, the Bible is real clear that these people had requirements that they still had to live by. It wasn't something that they can just do on their own. 
do, the, do their own thing. Let's look at some scriptures. Numbers chapter 35, 26 through 28, and 31 through 34. It says, But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of the city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of the blood, because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the, mans- the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. Verse 31. Moreover, you shall not take ransom, <laughs> ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to the city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for the blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land. For the blood that is shed on it, except for the blood by him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I the Lord Dwell among the children of Israel. We got to capture what's going on here. If you capture this, it's going to bless your soul and it's going to set you free. The first thing is God said, don't leave. I've made a way of escape for you. Don't leave. Stay in the city of refuge. Because if you leave and you disobey me, I've done all of this to help you. I've done all of this to protect you. And if you leave, the protection that I've given you, and the avenger, death, is outside, and you get killed, that's on you. That is not on me, says God. You took your own life at risk. He should have remained in the refuge, in the refuge until the day that the high priest died. So it is with us. So it is with us. God says, I am the vine. You are the branch. I've saved you. Don't leave. Don't walk out. I have protected you and given you a shield. Don't leave. Don't walk out. Because if you walk out on God, you're putting yourself at risk. Just like this person did. You yourself are making that decision. It's not God. It's you yourself that's doing that. Proverbs 14, 12. It talks a lot about this kind of a man because maybe this, this person in this, in this city was like, you know what, I think I know better. You know what, I think I'm going to be okay. And the Bible says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but, the way, but, but its end is the way of death. So what he's, the Proverbs is saying is, listen, you may think you know the right way, but don't. You walk out. You put yourself in danger, and you're going to die. So here Proverbs is warning people, not just in those days, but in our days. Listen to God. Stay in his presence. Stay connected to the vine. He's the vine, you're the branch. Stay connected to him. If not, you yourself are making that mistake. Proverbs 14, 14a, it talks about the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. So here Proverbs is saying, If you're doing your own thing, if you're saying, you know what, God, I don't need your rules. I can do it my own way. I can step out if I want to. God says, backslider, you're filled 
with your own ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life, God says. Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the way. No, 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 no. I've got my own ways. Backslider. Don't do that. And then he talks about the ransom, the bribe. I thought that was fascinating. In other words, here's these guys who, you know, they all, so many people think, well, I'll just buy my way. I'll just get out of it through money. So here, somebody murders somebody. I don't need to go to the ransom city. Listen, here's uh, $10,000. How much more do you need? Another 10000 And God says, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it because you will pollute my land where I dwell. If somebody kills intentionally, if somebody's doing sinning intentionally, and they don't want to repent, they think they can just buy their way to heaven or just blow off God, the Bible says either you're going to bow your knee here or you're going to bow your knee in front of him. But you're going to bow your knee. And so here he's saying, you can't pay your way out of this. I don't care how much money you have. There's only one way to be able to pay the penalty on that. And it isn't by your millions. It's by the precious blood of Jesus that he already shed the blood for us. And then he says, and if there's somebody who says, okay, I actually, I didn't do it on purpose. And the court system saw that I didn't do it on purpose. And they escorted me and they protected me. And now I'm inside the city of refuge. But you know what? My child starting to grow up, and the high priest is still kind of young. Can I pay some money and get out of this refugee city pretty quickly? And God says, no, you cannot be paying your way out in that case either, regardless if you did it unintentionally, because this is my land, and I don't want you to pollute my land. Not obeying God's ordinances, God said, would pollute my land. Well, what scripture in the New Testament is a parallel to that? Can you think of one? First Corinthians. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, if you defile the temple of God, I will destroy you. So here in the city of refuge, he's saying, don't defile the land. Don't, I'm giving you a way to escape. I'm giving you a way to be able to set you free from this. Don't defile it because I dwell here. And so God is saying, if you want me to dwell in you, if you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you must understand that God is holy. And God says, if you're going to be doing things in this temple that God made, you didn't make your body. God made your body. And God says, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, if you defile it, I don't care, God. I can do my own thing. God says, you're defiling my temple. I will destroy you. You know, my bet is that those people who were living inside that city of refuge, they weren't trying to play games. I bet most of them were pretty grateful. I bet most of them, I mean, here they accidentally killed somebody. They ran to the city. Please let me in. The officers heard it. Okay, come on in. They took him to court. They escorted him. 
court showed that he did do it unintentionally. They escorted him back, and they're just glad that they're not being killed. They're grateful. And because they're grateful, they were able to stay there as long as necessary. They knew what God had ordained, and gratefulness kept them in place. Is gratefulness keeping you in place? Because many times what happens is when we lose the lack of appreciation of what Jesus did for us, when we lose the understanding that I deserve to go to hell, I'm a sinner, God, I know that this death sentence, this judgment is right for me. You're a sovereign God, you're a holy God, and I'm not. And God, I deserve to go down there. And you died on the cross for me, God. You paid the price for all my sins. I'm grateful, God. I'm going to stay in the city. I'm going to stay in my refuge. God, I'm going to show you my appreciation by obeying you and not defiling the temple. You know, I've heard supposed Christians, quote-unquote Christians, say that though they're sinning willfully, intentionally, doing their own thing, they've told me to my face, I'm still righteous. I'm right with God. There's no problems. God died for not only my past sins, but my present sins and my future sins. So I can live any way I want, and I'm still okay with God. You're deceived. That's not what the Bible says. Let me warn you about that, because God doesn't want anybody to be out of the city. God doesn't want anybody to have to get this death sentence. And you are right now in a dangerous situation. You don't have to be in that situation, but you've got to do it God's way, not your way. Don't be filled with your own ways. As our text shows, it really is the character of God. If you do something by mistake, or, or I'll say it a different way, if it's not your habit, it's not, if it's not your practice of doing those things, God is going to be merciful. <coughs> I had heard somebody real recently say, Ernie, <clears throat> what would happen if all of a sudden, you know, I'm living for God. I'm blood washed. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm on the freeway. And I'm, everything's going good. God has delivered me. And somebody just cuts me off and actually clips my car and hurts somebody in my car. And I got in a moment of rage. And I get out of the car and I proceed to pounce on the guy. And then the rapture happens at that moment. What's going to happen? People are always given these hypothetical situations, you know. Well, I always tell them, what does the Bible say? Because when I read the Bible, God, he understands we're not perfect. Far from it. And then he says in Galatians chapter 5, these are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, tenderness, gentleness. And then he says, these are the works of the flesh. And he talks about fornication and adultery and murder, outbursts of wrath, lewdness, all sorts of other things. And he goes, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that somebody made a mistake one time. But it's been your history of doing that. You do it, and then you stop, 
and then you do it, and then you stop, and then you do it, and then you stop. So really, all you are, it's been your practice. You're just stopping for two weeks or two months, and you go back. You're not changed. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Isn't that what it says? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new or have become new. So what he's saying is, there should be a change in your life. But if you're still having the same habits, and you're still beating up on your wife after the last 10 years, something's wrong. You're not a Christian. If you're still cussing up a storm, if you're still looking at things and doing things you shouldn't be doing. In fact, let me just talk about that. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, I believe verse 32. It's one of the most difficult scriptures in all of the Bible to deal with. Because it says, it gives a whole litany of scriptures of, of, of things that are lewd. And it talks about all sorts of sexual deviations and so on. Okay? And then it says, those who practice such things are worthy of death. And then he says, and those who approve of those who practice such things are also worthy of death. Wow. In other words, what he's saying is, I remember I had this one guy I used to work with, and he goes, yeah, I go to topless joints, and it's cool. I mean, I don't touch. I just look, and it's fine. And my wife even lets me. So I'm not doing anything wrong. It's them that are doing something wrong. It's not me. I'm just watching. I mean, how messed up. But that scripture there, it says, if you're doing that, sir, or if you're looking at porno or whatever things that you know are wrong that somebody's doing, and you're looking at that and taking that in, you're approving them that are doing those things. And you also are worthy of death. Oh, my gosh. You know, we already know that. I mean, if somebody goes into a bank and robs a bank, and all you are is in the car, you didn't do it. Hey, sir, why are you taking me to jail? I didn't do it. He did it. But you were in the car. You were a co-conspirator. You were approving him of doing that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been in the car. And what happens to him? Goes to jail. We know that legally. But spiritually, our scriptures back that up. Listen, God, as I said earlier, he doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows we're not. All he wants is for us to try our best. That's it. I'll give you the scripture for it. Jesus says, what is the greatest commandment? To love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. He didn't say to be perfect. Now, what if he would have said, have you ever thought about this? What is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. What did I just finish missing? The word all. Why did God put the word all in there? Have you ever thought about that? Why did he just say, greatest commandment, to love me with all your heart? No, greatest commandment, to love me with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, with your mind. He didn't say that. He goes, I want it all. I want you to be able to try your very best. Listen, if you have a child, and your child, you tell them, I want you to work and do your very best in school, or cleaning the backyard, and you see that this child, I mean, they didn't just do it superficially. They're working on the backyard, and they did their very best. Or they're studying, and they stayed up late, and they've been doing it day after day, and all they got was a C. 
But you saw that they tried their very best. Are you going to hate them? Are you going to treat them badly? If that's all they can do, that's all they can do. They tried their very best. God, all he wants is for us to try our very best. God is looking for that effort. Now, if somebody just like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to give it halfway, then that's the problem. And you're breaking God's first commandment. So let me bring it down to my last point. Are you living inside the walls? God has made cities of refuge in the Old Testament. But for today, he's made Jesus as our city of refuge. Are you living within the walls? Or are you living outside? The only way we're going to be protected from God's soon coming judgment is if we're in him, my friends. We've got to get away from this death sentence that's over our lives. Get our refuge, which is in Jesus. And backslider, the devil, he's working overtime to try to kill you. He knows that if you die in your sin, it's over for you. But have you ever felt the other side where the Holy Spirit is also working overtime, lovingly trying to draw you back? Lovingly. The Holy Spirit never leaves us. And when we're blowing and we're doing wrong things, boy, God is faithful because he loves you and he wants you to be safe. He wants to bring you in to his safety. Where are you right now? Inside or outside? I want to talk lastly Just a few points. I'm done almost. Three things that if we really believe and take into account this message I just finished saying about the cities of refuge, it's going to help break these three things that unfortunately I see going on with some Christians. One, condemnation. Condemnation over past mistakes and sins that you just can't get over. You feel condemned about your past, condemned about what you've done. And it's robbing you of your peace and your joy and your victory. And God says, no more. That's it. Bring it to the altar. I want it to die. Because when somebody's in the city of refuge, regardless of how, you know, it was a mistake. I didn't mean to do that. Once they got led into that city of refuge, it didn't matter anymore. And they were no longer condemned. And in fact, they were soon going to be free men as soon as that priest died. But so much better, Jesus. Jesus, we don't have to wait for that. Because Jesus already paid the price for our sins. And all we have to do (coughs) is say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. God, I want to make you my Savior and my Lord. And you make him your refuge. And it's forgiven. And you no longer have to have that condemnation. You just say, God, I've already given my life to you. I'm no longer, see, the devil's lying to you. He's trying to make you feel like you're still outside the city. When you're inside the city, hello, God is trying to say, refuge, city of refuge. Jesus, he's your refuge, no longer to be condemned. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that say? There is therefore now, not till when we get to heaven. That was a liar. But now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here, you're trying your best. I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're trying your best. 
And the devil keeps on throwing condemnation after condemnation, things you did in the past. And you try, and all of a sudden you start going forward for a week, a month, a year. And all of a sudden, the devil starts throwing all these things back, and you fall. And you say, what's the use? I blew it too badly. devil is a liar. Where are you? If you're inside the city walls, why are you letting the devil to still condemn you from outside the city walls? He's a liar. God is saying, that's it. We're saved by grace. His blood has washed you. No more condemnation. Number two that has to break is a feeling of hopelessness. That no matter how hard you try to live the Christian life, you just feel like you're not good enough. And therefore, you quit. And you say, I just can't do that. That's for them. But I can't do this. I've tried. The devil is a liar. Listen. When people were inside of the house, and that angel of death passed by and saw the blood, as I've told you before, he didn't open up the door and say, that person's okay, but not that one. Whoever was in the room was saved. Whoever was blood-washed was saved. Are you blood-washed? If you're blood-washed, you're saved. You're forgiven. We're not saved by our works. See, this is what the cults do. And this is what many times in my own Catholic upbringing did to me. Is my grandmother, she had so many indulgences that she had to do. So many, I mean, Miko, have you already prayed the rosary? Miko, have you already done this? Miko, have you already... And it was just so many things that just after a while, I can't do them all. And Jesus said, you don't have to be doing that. I did it for you. It's not what you do that you make it to heaven. It's by what I did that you make it to heaven. That's why I listen to this beautiful scripture. It says, Matthew, Matthew 11, 28, it says, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor, labor, and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look at the scripture. For come unto me, all you who labor. In other words, all you guys who are doing works. All you guys who think that by your works, you're saved. Jesus says, why are you doing that? Come unto me. You all, all of you who are heavy laden. You know what the cults do? Is they put heavy ladens on people. That's what Jesus was so mad at the Jews for at the Pharisees and the scribes, he saw the heavy yoke that he was putting on them. He goes, no. And that's why the Bible, in fact, that's why Martin Luther, he says, we are saved by faith. That's it. And that started the Reformation because we're not saved by works. This church doesn't save you. No church saves you. It's the blood of Jesus that saves you. So when you feel and the devil lies to you and says, I can't do this, you're right. You can't. Neither can I. Jesus already did it. He gave us the free gift. That's it. Love him. Rest in him. He's your refuge. And go forward. Thirdly, people are living in fear about what the future holds. They see what's going on in the world right now, and they're like, oh, my gosh. You know, they start feeling like, I feel like I'm going to die, or like one of my loved ones is going to die. And they are always in that fear. What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? Or they see what's going on in the world. Did you see that earthquake in Japan? 
Oh, my gosh, but did you see the one in Ecuador? Yeah, but in Japan, even foam's coming out of the ground. Oh, my gosh. And they start freaking out. I mean, when I see those things, I get excited. I do. Because it's our blessed hope. I'm in the refuge. I'm taken care of. And I know Jesus is coming back. I know he's in control. I can't, I can't do anything about that anyway. And I go, God, either way, I win. Because I've already won. Because my name is in the book of life. We need to understand and take this message to heart. If we do the cities of refuge, Jesus is our refuge. It'll set you free. It'll give you a peace. It'll give you a rest that God intended for us to have. The devil's a liar. Get away from that condemnation. Get away from that feeling of hopelessness. Get away from works. You're not saved. Oh, golly, I only read my Bible for half an hour today. I'm supposed to read it for an hour. I'm going to go to hell. Listen, you can read it for ten hours. That ain't enough. The only thing that is enough is the blood of Jesus. And once that blood's on there, it's, I'm not trying to excuse laziness. I'm not saying that. Love him with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength. So we try our very best. But the devil's always saying, it's not enough. And so many people leave Jesus, leave the church because they feel they can't do it. He's a liar. Jesus is our refuge. Amen? I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is such a good God, such a merciful God. He loves us. He wants to set us free. If you're here right now and you're living outside the walls, where are you living right now? Are you inside Jesus? Are you inside the city of refuge? If you are not, you're in danger. The avenger of your soul, death, wants to kill you. You are a sinner. And the Bible says the price and the cost of sinning is death in hell. But here's the good news. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. That we don't have to go there. All you need to do is get in the city of refuge, which is Jesus. If you're here right now <coughs> and you haven't given your life to Jesus and you want to be in the city of refuge, you see now the wonderful, wonderful story that this is. The wonderful deliverance that God has for you. He loves you. And you want to be delivered. You want to be delivered. You want to have this peace and this refuge. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand to Jesus. Say, Jesus I want to get into the city of refuge. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I need this refuge. I'm outside the walls. I know how I'm living is wrong. And I know if I died right now, I don't know where I would go. I'm not, I'm not sure I would go to heaven. And I want to be sure, God. Forgive me of my sins. If that's you, God loves you. God died for you. God wants to save you. Raise your hand to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me, Lord. Forgive me, God. God. I want to make it to heaven. Anybody here? God loves you. Anybody here? Backslider. If there is a backslider here, and you were in the city of refuge, you were in the protection of Jesus, and you're living a life right now that is showing you're outside the walls. What are you doing, my friend? Don't do that. God loves you. The devil wants to rip you off. And you see this wonderful story of the cities of refuge, and you want to come back to Jesus. God is here for you.
God loves you. Raise your hand to Jesus. Say, Jesus, forgive me, Lord. I want to come back to you. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, Lord. That's me. Who's here? God wants to save you. God wants to bring you back, backslider. Anybody here? God is a loving. I see that hand. I see that honest hand. Anybody else will join this honest person. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. God loves you. He wants to save you. But listen, don't delay for those people who didn't go to the gate and say, let me in. And they stayed out. They were killed. And God is saying, you don't have to be that way. But don't delay. Come on in right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Who will join this honest person here? Say, God, forgive me, God. God, I need you, Lord. Lord, I need to be in your city of refuge. Anybody else will join this honest person? Anybody else? Can't take much longer. Anybody else? I know there's somebody here. God loves you. Anybody else? All right, brother, you who raised your hand, look at me for a second. Did you mean that? God loves you. God's going to help you. I want you to come forward. Somebody's going to pray with you. Come on. Come forward. God loves you, Luis. God loves you, man. He's going to pray with you, okay? Christians, this message was mainly to Christians. God is such a good God. God is not looking for the perfect or Mr. Perfect Christian. He's just looking for somebody who loves him with all of their hearts and who's inside the city of refuge. Jesus wants to break this lion, devil, just his attacks of condemnation. If you've been feeling condemned by what you've done in the past and you just can't get over it and you keep on having a cycle of going back to that or feelings of hopelessness that you just can't do this. Maybe that's for all the rest of the Christians, but not for you. This message is for you. Jesus, he wants you to take upon his yoke. His burden is light. It's not, we're not saved by works. Just be in him. He is our refuge. He is our strong, high tower. I'm going to open up the altars. Come talk to God. I know God is dealing with people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you, my God. You are our refuge, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. 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 I praise you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, my God. I thank you, Lord. Let your peace, my God, come upon every single person here, Lord. I pray, God, I pray that they can rest in you, Lord, that they can be grateful, Lord God, that they live inside the city walls, that the avenger can't come near them. No matter what the avenger tries to scream out and tries to say, they're safe because of the blood. Because of the deliverance 
that you have made for them, God. I thank you, my God, for the peace, the, the precious peace that you give, Lord God. Thank you, my God. Our future is secure. Our, our eternal future is secure in you. I thank you. I praise you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It doesn't matter what's coming in the world. It doesn't matter prophetically what's going on. We're covered. The blood of Jesus has saved us. And as long as you stay in the city walls, you're okay. He's our blessed hope. He is our answer. Tell the devil to shut up. Tell his lies and his strategies to get behind him. It's time for you to rise up and to say, no more. I'm not going to be governed by these things anymore. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, my God. I'd like to have everybody stand to their feet just for a second. The Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, right? My people perish. And this is one of the reasons why. Because these are beautiful scriptures. These are beautiful teachings that I get blessed by. And to be quite honest with you, I feel his peace. And I feel like, God, no matter what, I'm cool. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. And it gives me a peace. But I see too many people that don't have that. I see too many people that leave God because they don't have this. And I see too many people that aren't rising up and being the husbands, the wives, or the people of God and the position because they feel, ah, that's just for them. I'm not good enough. Listen, you're right. You're not good enough. And neither am I. It's not based on our goodness, as I've said. It's the blood of Jesus. And so rest in that. You try your very best. You love him. And then you say, devil, shut up. And now I'm going to do all the things that God wants me to do. No longer, devil, am I going to just be meandering through life. No longer, devil, am I going to not be doing what I'm supposed to be doing because the devil has me gripped with these things. I'm going to let these chains drop. I'm in the temple. I'm in the, the walls of the refuge. And I'm going to act like it. Why? Why don't you act like it? You're in the walls. Amen? Let's pray. Father, so you say, Father, thank you. You are our refuge. I am inside the temple walls. Blood on the door. And though the angel of death passes by, I'm safe because I've been made righteous. Not because of my goodness, but because of what you did on the cross. And I thank you for that free gift, for that grace, unmerited favor, Lord. And I'm going to start acting like you, God, to be the person that you want me to be, to be the leader in my family, to be an example to my circle of influence, and not let the devil's lies keep me from doing that. You are my refuge, God, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, let's praise him.
Father, thank you, my God. Rolo Rabba Babasha. Rolo Rabba Babasha. Rolo Rabba Babasha. Shobo Rolo Rabba Babasha. Shobo Rolo Rabba Babasha. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Lobo Rolo Rabba Babasha. Shobo Rolo Rabba Babasha. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Rolo Shabarraba Babasha. Shabarraba Babasha. Shabarraba. Hallelujah. Inside the walls. Let's act like it. And tell the devil, you're outside the walls, so shut up. And let's let God use us to his desire and not limit the lies of the devil from keeping that from happening. Amen? All right, guys. Let's go ahead and pray and brother, ask my brother Rick to close us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, God, that you are the God of refuge and of strength. In your presence, help us to trust in God. That you are the God of David, who is our witness. That we ask you to bless and seal your word. 